When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 404 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing bread. Yes, one of my favorite foods. Specifically, we're talking all things sourdough bread. Homemade sourdough made its resurgence during the pandemic, didn't it? There were so many selfies with sourdough loaves. And the more I learn about what's in our food supply, the more urgency I feel with regard to cooking more in my own kitchen and buying less of what's on the grocery store shelves. Enter sourdough. It's a fermented food that people have been making for centuries because of its immense gut health benefits. It's also made with only three ingredients, so it is additive-free. By the way, speaking of additives, if you have not yet listened to Tuesday's episode all about additives, food additives, definitely go back and listen to it. It is a near-perfect, dare I say near-perfect, compliment to this episode. Now, as with most episodes on this show, part one of our conversation is the why. What is all the sourdough hype about? That's part one. And then part two is the how. How do we get started making this wonder food at home? Part two is perfect for listeners who are complete newbies, complete beginners, as well as for listeners who are, maybe they've tried here or there, but they need some professional help. Now, if you know you're never going to bake a loaf of sourdough in your life, I've got you covered as well because my guests today, again, they are experts. They are bringing the wisdom with what to look for when you go to buy bread next, what you should actually be paying for that loaf, where you should be buying your bread, it's not the grocery store, what ingredients you should be actively avoiding, all that is also in today's episode for you. Today, I'm speaking with Ed and Natasha Tatton. They are bakers. They run Bread, B-R-E-D. It is a bakery in Whistler, British Columbia. So if you're in the area, go on in and say hello. They're also the authors of the new cookbook, which is coming out next month. It is titled Bread, Sourdough Loaves, Small Breads, and Other Plant-Based Baking. Oh my goodness, Ed and Natasha, I am so excited to glean all your wisdom today. How are you? Oh, we're doing very well. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having us. Well, today we're talking about sourdough, and I'm so excited to have experts on the show to talk about sourdough because I started my sourdough journey. It's a journey, I would say, this March. I started in March, and I've had a lot of failures, some successes, but I'm hooked. 
Let's start with your journey. How did both of you become passionate about baking, passionate about sourdough? You have a bakery. You're coming out with a cookbook. How did you find yourself in this line of work? I've loved food since a very young age. Baking with my mom and in the kitchen, just simple cakes to take to school and things like that. Got my first professional sort of worked in the kitchen from 13 so it was while I was at school, obviously part-time, and just instantly loved being in kitchens and around food and making food for people. I found sourdough when we lived in Bristol in the southwest of the UK, probably around 2007, 2008. So I've been making sourdough for around sort of 15 years in various forms, not in a bakery, more in a restaurant setting. Fine dining restaurants is my background. So it would always be we make everything in-house and the bread obviously would be the first thing that a diner would eat. And I really love that, that it's breaking bread with friends or family and it's the introduction to a meal or to accompany a meal or the main element of a meal when we're talking about breakfast or brunch. So instantly just love the fermentation, the, the element that it, proper sourdough, organic flour, water and salt, the simplicity of it. But like you said, sometimes we can have a love-hate relationship with sourdough. It kind of fills our emotions. Like you said, you're on a journey. I still feel like I'm on a journey. I learn something every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting to me. You said breaking bread, both literally and figuratively. There's something about gathering around the table. But why sourdough? I've heard it said that baking sourdough, it's not a skill it's an understanding. And that certainly rings true to me because it's not just about putting stuff in a bowl and putting the dough hook on and running it for 10 minutes until it passes the window pane test or whatever. It's not about that. It's about intuitively understanding your starter on a much deeper level than any other ingredient I have in my kitchen. So what are your thoughts on this? Sourdough isn't a skill. It's an understanding. Right, because it's not a dry ingredient that sits in your cupboard. It's a live culture. It's a whole group of organisms that are working together. And so that's what you've really got to understand is how they operate. And so they, the fact that they need feeding regularly. Ed will feed our starters in the bakery every 12 hours. A home baker can do this less often and keep the starter in the fridge. But the danger is, and a lot of home bakers experience this, is that you can kill your starter if you don't feed it on time and you can not necessarily get in the same routine that somebody that's baking for an everyday job has. That's what it comes down to. It's like when you have a newborn baby and, and you have to get to understand the mother knows what the baby needs. A stranger seeing a baby cry, they don't know what to do. They have to hand the baby off to the mum. But if you're baking sourdough, it's a similar analogy that you have to taste the dough, smell the dough. It's a good idea, actually, to have a notebook and make notes on the ambient temperature of the room, temperature of the water that you're using when you're making a dough. And if you take notes each time you make bread on these types of things, you can monitor when it's been a success, when it hasn't been a success, and find your sweet spot, really, on what, what conditions will work best for your culture. Mm. I love that analogy to raising a child, a baby, let's say. I'm, I must say on the outset, having a sourdough starter is way easier <laughs> than raising a baby. However, there are similarities. You know, you can parent with skills, but parenting goes much better. You do a much better job if you're understanding 
the child. And I think that's what you're saying there. Your sourdough is going to go much better if you understand the live cultures, perhaps. But what do you say to skeptics? I'm sure I have people listening right now. They've gotten to whatever, minute six or whatever we're on. And they're saying to themselves, there is no way I'm ever going to make sourdough or any bread for that matter. I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to spend four to five dollars and I'm going to buy a loaf. What do you say to them? What benefits are there to going down this journey? We saw a huge rise in people making sourdough during the pandemic. And it's totally fine. It's because we don't have time in our day-to-day lives. We work hard, we exercise, we spend time with family and friends. Like there's not much time left in there to be making sourdough for six hours of the day. So when we were, you know, on lockdown, we had a lot more time. So I don't think everyone needs to be making sourdough. I think everyone should be eating sourdough. There's two different trains of thought there. So they should just support their local bakery. They should find sourdough that's nearest to them and go along and support them and buy sort of whole grain sourdough. It's great for our health. It's been proved that it's really good for our gut, um, microorganisms and things like that. If you have time, give it a go. I always recommend when people start, just make the same recipe over and over again. Don't deviate too much. And like Natasha said, you'll get to know the ebbs and flow of sourdough and times and temperatures and things like that. And it will make your house smell amazing. (laughs) It really does. It really does. For me personally, the benefits of making sourdough myself is that I know exactly what's going into my bread. I did read an interesting article that said that, I know you mentioned supporting your local bakery, but If you go to your local supermarket and buy the sourdough that's on the shelf, it may not be true sourdough. Tell me if you've heard this before, but I learned that some of these companies, because sourdough is a slower process, they don't have the time to let the dough ferment. So they're just adding in the sour taste. Have you heard that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's actually a campaign. It's started in the UK, but is starting to get worldwide traction, the Real Bread campaign. And they are lobbying the government over there to actually put some regulations in place so that food manufacturers can't say something is sourdough unless it is free of yeast and other additives. So sourdough essentially is flour, water, salt. You make a culture and the wild yeasts and bacteria in the atmosphere they will leaven the bread for you. So you don't need to add baker's yeast to make bread rise or any other additives like baking soda or anything like that. Flour, water, salt. If you leave it long enough to ferment flour and water, they will start to naturally ferment and then you can make bread. And the three ingredients being flour, water, salt. Everything else is magic, really. There are companies that will put up to, what is it, 35 ingredients in a loaf of bread? Yeah, some, if you go to your local store and you just look at the sort of plastic-wrapped sliced bread, anywhere from 25 to 35 ingredients. So sugars, salts, emulsifiers, stabilizers, sometimes dairy, milk powder. All of these things are to extend the shelf life of that bread so it can sit in your cupboard for two or three weeks and still be soft and not go moldy. But yeah, they're just getting on that train of calling it sourdough. Like Sasha said, sour foe. They put a small amount of the, the natural yeast in, but it's still got all the other yeast in. 
so it's not fermented at all like you said stephanie it's just there for flavor and for brand awareness because they're like oh sourdough sells we can sell it for an extra dollar two dollars but it's essentially the same bread as the, the counterpart next to it it's just regular bread with sourdough culture added it's not true sourdough and the best way to know if your bread that you're buying from somewhere is real sourdough or not check the ingredients and look is it just flour water salt or is there any baker's yeast or anything else in there that you maybe can't pronounce the name of there shouldn't be anything like that in a true sourdough loaf Mm. and also another important thing to say is 60 70 years ago this was the only bread that we made and ate this is a new thing that we're using this high processed sped up i don't even want to call it bread it's not bread it's a paste that they pump into tins and they bake it's not a dough it's very scary if you if people saw these factories where this bread is made in brackets so we've been making bread they found it for more than 17000 years and in the last 70 or 80 years we've totally messed it up so we need to move this revolution back to making sourdough back to eating proper bread and all these sort of big companies are manipulating us and making us think that this what is what true bread is. Sourdough is true bread. If people always say, oh, I eat what my grandfather ate, we really don't because it's changed so much in the last sort of 80 to 100 years. I'm so happy you made that point because it's so true. Okay, well, I have two questions and I'm going to combine them into one because <laughs> I have just so many thoughts running through my head. The first question is really simple. In your opinion, how much money should a true loaf of sourdough bread cost? Like how much should we be paying? And question two goes back to the health benefits of the true sourdough. What are the benefits of sourdough and fermented foods in general? I think price-wise is quite variable. Depends where you are in the country. We have seen a huge increase in flour cost, especially organic flour. So, for example, we've seen probably a 25 to 30% increase in flour, and then that, therefore that has to be passed on to the consumer. So I would say organic sourdough, you're looking around the $10 mark, just for a sort of like nice, simple sourdough. Once you start adding seeds, nuts, dried fruits, things like that, it's going to push it up a bit more than that. But around $10, it, it's a treat. It should be enjoyed. It's a handcrafted product it comes back to if you make it yourself you can make it a lot cheaper because you can cut down on the cost so we're saying sort of ten dollars but that's buying it from a bakery if you made it yourself ingredients cost maybe two to four dollars i don't think it's any surprise or uh, news to anybody that there's a lot of people out there who are experiencing or thinking that they're experiencing gluten sensitivity gluten has become quite a dirty word in the past five to ten years and we're seeing gluten-free this gluten-free that on everything and to be honest I'm not sure that these people understand what gluten is and how it works gluten is a plant protein which also is interesting because protein has become a very great word everybody is looking for protein protein is being publicized as the the main food that we should all be concerned about. And the thing that we want the least of is gluten. Newsflash, everybody, gluten is protein. (laughs) Just want to make that clear from from the first get-go. That's how the food industry can really play without us and manipulate us Mm -hmm. and our buying habits. 
So gluten is a plant protein and it's what actually causes sourdough to have big air bubbles in it. It's some kind of glossy matrix that traps the carbon dioxide that the bacteria and yeasts are releasing as they consume the sugars that are present in the flour. When you eat truly naturally leavened fermented sourdough bread, you can think of the gluten as pre-digested. It's been through a process with microorganisms where the gluten structure is somewhat broken down for your gut and it helps you digest it. If you eat raw flour or bread that hasn't been fully fermented, let's say something like a Wonder Bread loaf, this could be made within two hours start to finish and it will have additives in it to help it rise because it hasn't got the time given to it that a sourdough would have. Our bread from feeding the starter to producing a loaf is around three-day process, much longer for the natural processes to occur. And that helps with fermenting and helps with digestion. But when you're eating something that's made within two hours, start to finish, the flour is a very different state. And that can be quite difficult for some people's sensitive guts to process. So we have found a lot of our customers who say they're gluten sensitive. So that means not diagnosed with an allergy or have celiac disease, but have found that when they eat certain products that contain gluten, they get stomach upsets of some sorts or some sort of reaction in their body. But they say often, your bread's the only bread I can eat. And that's because it's organic. So as far as we can, we've removed pesticides. Commercial wheat is sprayed with glyphosate, commonly known as Roundup, which is an incredibly toxic pesticide. And when you're eating wheat products, which most people are eating on a daily basis, multiple times a day, then you're going to have a buildup of pesticides in your body. So we always promote organic sourdough. It's no surprise that organic is healthier for you. The unfortunate thing is the way the food system is tailored, organic is much more expensive. And so we understand that it's not accessible to everybody. But as much as you can, you should try to find organic food to avoid the pesticides that are building up in our water systems, building up in our soils, building up in our bodies, because this is causing a hell of a lot of problems for people's guts these days. So organic flour, naturally leavened, you're going to have the best end result. And if you want any proof of this, there's a great documentary about the blue zones, which are areas in the world where people live to around 100 years old, healthy lives to 100 years old. And there's a particular group of people who are living in Sardinia um, in the documentary. I think it's on Netflix. And you can see that they are making sourdough every day. These people are healthy and they're over 100 years old. So that's just you don't need any more evidence than that. You don't need any more scientific tests on this. It's do you want to live healthy, long life? <laughs> that's what they're doing. So if we all follow suit, then I think that we're set for success, really. That is a super comprehensive answer. And I thank you for giving it, Natasha, because I'm thinking about the fact that it takes, you mentioned it takes about three days to start a loaf and bring it to completion. I'm thinking about the 10-ish dollar price tag that you mentioned, Ed. It's no wonder that we should be paying more for something 
healthier and simpler. I know on my own sourdough journey, and again, it's really been a journey, but sourdough has forced me to slow down, to go back to like a slower and simpler time in which you do have dough fermenting on the counter for 12 hours overnight, perhaps. And also for me, as a consumer of food, (laughs) I want something with less ingredients without the additives and the preservatives. And so I thank you for saying all that. I will say also for the for this show, right? It's also, if you're making it at home, it's a zero waste practice. There's no waste to be found. It's also largely plant-based. I mean, surely there are recipes for sourdough that you can find with animal products in them, eggs, butter, etc. But very simple sourdough, nothing else, salt, starter, flour. We're going to take our break. I really feel like we nailed down on the why. Like, why sourdough? But when we come back, I want to get into the how. (laughs) I have a lot of questions that I personally want answered. So we're going to do that after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Ed and Natasha Tatton. They are the authors of the new cookbook coming out November 7th. It is titled Bread, Sourdough Loaves, Small Breads, and Other Plant-Based Baking. Before the break, Ed and Natasha, we were discussing the why behind sourdough. Now we need to get into the how. (laughs) Like, how do we do it? And when we talk about sourdough how-to, I feel personally we need to start with the starter. I had a lot of downs. 
just downs when it came to creating a starter. I spent weeks of my life trying to create a starter. I failed multiple times. And then finally, I just went on my community's Facebook Buy Nothing group and I said, can anyone give me some sourdough starter? (laughs) And they gave it to me. And then all my problems were solved. But can you talk to me about the starter, what it is, why we need it, how to take care of it? I've heard it compared to a low-maintenance pet. Take it away, sourdough starters. Yeah, totally. I mean, first of all, we've got a brand new cookbook coming out. So there's a guide in there. First sort of chapter is how to create, how to grow a sourdough. It's a culture, like you said, we call it the mother, the starter. All bread, all sourdough bread starts with that. The health is very important of that starter. So generally, we feed it water and flour and it grows. And I always like a tip for people to use when they're starting a starter is to use some rye flour in there, some wheat and rye, 50-50. Rye is naturally higher in sugar. Sugars will kickstart that fermentation and give you a better chance of keeping going, basically, and a bit not dying. And then that starter basically gets put into more flour and water, a little bit of salt that controls the fermentation. And that's where the sourdough starts, essentially. It goes through a fermentation process. Um, either at room temperature or eventually in the fridge overnight it will grow and then we we can bake that bread but there's a lot of factors like Natasha mentioned earlier that we can't see microorganisms that are using the natural sugars enzymes bacteria from the whole grain to multiply and grow Another factor that you can't see, but you can certainly feel, and what I believe was contributing to my problems was the temperature of my kitchen. I was trying to do this in February and March, create this sourdough starter. Basically, you're just adding flour and water each day, taking some out, adding more, and hopefully a starter is formed. I mean, I know that's very simplistic, but my kitchen was really cold because, again, it's winter. So, I suggest, and again, you're the expert, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're going to attempt to create a starter, do it in the warmer months. And if you want a starter in a colder month, I say, I suggest, it worked for me, just ask someone in your community. A tip you could do is some people have a little light in their oven. So if they just put the light on, that apparently adds enough warmth that you could have the starter in there. Or if you've just got a warmer area of of your house, it might be in the, the living room, the front room. If you have your heating on more in there, maybe keep it in there and it will definitely help it out. But they do like warmer temperatures, especially when they're started, especially when it's so freezing outside. But you can always increase the water temperature. The water temperature is key in the summer when we're feeding our sourdough or more in the bread process. We can Some sourdough bakers in California, for example, will have to add ice to their water, to their dough, because otherwise it can overheat. But you can also get, we call it the sourdough house, you can get a proving box. Then not too expensive. There's a company called Brod and Taylor, who we are not sponsored by, but they make these proving boxes. It's this type of tank that you'd keep a snake in. It's like a box with a heated mat, and it keeps the temperature of the starter consistent basically and in the winter if we travel we have to take the starter with us we are those crazy people that take the starter on vacation once in a while and so we have one of these boxes because it just means that 
we don't have to worry about the temperature of where we are, that it's going to be kept at the right temperature. So Brod and Taylor proving boxed. That might be a revelation for you, Stephanie, in your cold winter kitchen. (laughs) Thank you. I'm definitely going to check it out. And I just want to say for listeners who are confused, like, what's the starter? What are you talking about? I just want to make clear that you cannot make a loaf of sourdough anything unless you have an active, alive, bubbling starter. And so you got to make that first. And back in the day, sourdough starters were prized amongst families. They were passed down as wedding presents. Different starters have or yields, I should say, different tastes in the final products. There are strong starters. There's dare I say, weak starters. And so assuming we have one that's alive and is bubbling and functioning, you mentioned you take it with you. You, We mentioned feeding it. What does the feeding look like? I'll say it's not that hard, listeners, so don't get scared. But Natasha, tell us, how do you feed a starter? It's essentially you're adding flour to the mix. The starter is just flour and water that have been combined together. But as we mentioned, when you leave it, the natural friendly bacteria and wild yeasts will consume that. So if they don't get more flour, then they're going to die, basically. We have the starter in a jar or whatever we store it in. And it's all about percentages. In a bowl, I always add water first. We use filtered water. So just cool, room temperature filtered water. I would take 100 grams of water. And I'll take 100 grams of flour. So to that, it's 100% hydration, equal water to flour. Then we need a percentage of the starter. Generally, I use anywhere from 10% to 25%. So 10 grams to 25 grams. And we just get a spatula or a spoon and we mix that and it comes to a, a paste. And we put that back into a clean jar and we leave it. We set that aside. Then we have the discard because... For example, we've got 200 grams of sourdough that we fed the day before, but we can use that. We can put it in pancakes. We can put it in waffles. We can use it and make crackers. Give it to our neighbor. So we don't need to throw it out or we can share it with a friend because if they go and feed that, then they can recreate another sourdough. I've only been baking with sourdough for, what, six months or so. However, I do feel as though this journey has made me better in all aspects of cooking and baking. I feel as though the slowing down and the really like intuitively understanding this, first of all, teaching myself a new skill. Sourdough is a new skill for me. Previous to sourdough, I was using the yeast packet and doing it that way. And sourdough brings us back to an earlier time. It's also really helped me hone in on my skills in the kitchen. And so I don't get the opportunity to talk to professional bakers who write cookbooks all the time. And so I'm wondering, do you have any tips and tricks for newbies who have never tried sourdough before but are interested And as well as me, somebody who's just starting out on their journey, what is going to help contribute to success? I know, Ed, you mentioned you're changing the jar. You're using a clean jar every time you feed your starter. I don't do that. We're coming from a, you know, commercial bakery sense. If you can use a rubber spatula and clean it out and make sure that it's not too, like, crusty, should I say, on the top of the jar, it's absolutely fine. It's actually better in a sense that you're repurposing a lot of that bacteria but when we're making such huge amounts we need to keep everything a little bit cleaner 
um, and presentable. We're an open plan kitchen, so we want to make sure everything's done correctly. With regards to like tips, I think equipment really helps. So a thermometer, like a probe for probing the water temperature. Again, like Natasha said, you can make notes on, okay, I did it at this water temperature and it was this temperature outside and the results were, you could score yourself. Oh, give it eight out of 10 for that bread. A set of digital scales is really going to help you be more consistent. Yeah, don't uh, use cups for making bread. It's just if you're in a rush, you may an extra 25 grams of water or flour can really change it. So digital scales is really helpful. I would say a Dutch oven, which is basically like a combo cooker. It's a cast iron pot with a lid, and it's basically just going to make your oven an oven inside your oven. So it's just going to make it a better bake. You put the bread in, you put the lid on, and it almost steams for the first half of the bake. You remove the lid, the natural sugar's caramelized, and you get that beautiful golden brown crust. And you can put ice in that as well. You could put like a one cube of ice if you wanted to create a bit more steam in there as well. Just give you that extra little kick for the oven spring. So the cast iron pot goes inside the oven. I recommend preheating for at least 30 to 45 minutes, up to an hour if you've got that time. And then it's really hot. And then you're going to take it out carefully, put it on the counter, turn the bread out into the Dutch oven give it a quick score with a knife or a razor blade, and then just put one cube of ice next to the bread. Put the lid on and back in the oven. Hmm. Yeah, those are all great tips. And I'll just add one of my own, I think, which is don't expect perfection. <laughs> Your first, second, third, maybe 10th time. This is a journey. At least it was for me. And be be willing to embrace the journey. I'm still having trouble with certain things I'm trying to do right now. Actually, upstairs, I'm trying to make baguettes and I don't have the metal baguette holder thing. So I'm trying to make a couche with <laughs> uh, and that's neither here nor there, but I'm still learning as I go along. And that's what I love about it. You can never, or at least I can't, I can never master this. There's always something for me to learn. <laughs> 100%. You'll never stop learning. Yeah. From the age of, like I said, I started in kitchens at 13. That's what really caught my imagination. I dreamt of being, not dreamt maybe, but thought ahead to being an 80-year-old chef and still learning. Food, you will never stop learning. You'll never be a master. You look at the top chefs in the world, like, Gordon Ramsay or someone like that, they'll say to you that they'll never stop learning. There's always new things coming. When I found vegan baking, vegan cooking, it, it totally opened up a whole new category and style of cooking. I think in the baking world, like aquafaba was only discovered like about 10 years ago by a Spanish scientist or baker or somebody. It wasn't like something like anyone's really been using in baking for like centuries or anything like that, even though it's just the liquid from cooking chickpeas. So it's nothing like technological, but somebody discovered the properties of how it could be used to substitute egg white. And that was a very recent discovery, really. Yeah, as Ed said, there's always going to be new things coming. That's the exciting thing. Yeah. As long as you lean into the fact that it's a journey and it's not a one and done thing and you just embrace the uncertainty, you embrace the possibility of failure. That brings us to your new cookbook. We really just scratched the surface today of sourdough. I know your cookbook isn't just on sourdough. So tell us what's in it, what we can find. Give us all the details. 
Yeah, totally. So it's a based on sourdough, but it's also plant-based vegan baking. It's over 100 recipes. So it's packed full of loads of baking tips and advice, how to start a starter, how to maintain a sourdough starter. So it's not just like growing it, it's like how to look at it after it on a day-to-day basis. But then we have chapters on cakes and cookies, scones. We have a zero waste chapter, what you can use your discard sourdough for. And then we also have a gluten-free chapter. I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show. I'll link to the pre-order website that um, my listeners need to pre-order your book. I've been able to take a look at it, everybody, and it's really darn good. I can't wait to get my own hardcover copy. So Ed and Natasha, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Stephanie. It's been really fun. Listeners, that's a wrap, my friends. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 404. And my final word for you today, if you've listened to minute 36 of this show and you're on the fence about whether you want to try sourdough or not, you want to try baking it in your own kitchen, my final word for you is if I can do it, you can do it. And I mean that. If I can do it, so can you. Now, I don't have an eco tip today, but I must be honest and I must say that when Natasha brought up aquafaba, I didn't know what that was and I didn't want to derail our conversation by going off down the aquafaba tangent. So after we said goodbye, I looked it up. And for anybody else who's like me and was listening to Natasha and Ed talk about aquafaba and they didn't know what it was, I've got you. Apparently, aquafaba is water in which chickpeas traditionally have been cooked, and this water can be used as a substitute for egg whites in cooking, but especially in vegan cooking. So super interested. That's going to be my next self-sufficiency challenge is how can I use aquafaba in my cooking? I love it. Listeners, we'll be back on Friday tomorrow for headlines. I will see you then. As always, reach out if you need me. You can find out how to do that in the show notes. Thanks for listening. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.